0: And this is really the first year, you know, that they kind of understand anything that's going on, right? And so they are just loving it, and it's so fun to see that joy. And it's like a, a, a reintroducing me all over again um, to the innocence, to the purity, and to really the depth of what the joy of this season is about. And I'm not talking about, like, uh, all the time it's that way, okay? We understand that, right? You guys know you guys have seen my kids running around here, right? Okay, it's not like that all the time, right? It's not like the moment when mom says, "Okay, that's enough um, iPad for the day." All right, that's meltdown moment right there, okay? Or the moment when brother has something that the other brother wants. Okay, doesn't matter what else is in the house, it's in the hands of that brother. Meltdown! I gotta have it. Okay, it's not joy all the time. But there is a deep kind of joy that we're seeing with them this season, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, the image that keeps playing back through my mind, and I want us to kind of hold on to this picture through the message today. We'll come back to it later. But this picture of this game that, that we like to play together, of uh, where I will kind of chase them through the house, Right. I'm kind of old, but I'm not that slow. I can catch a toddler, okay? And so we'll chase, but I'll let them get ahead of me, and I'll let them stay ahead of me, right? And they're running, and they're just frantically running, like, where am I going to go, all this? And then there's that moment of where I catch them, right, and overtake them and tickle them within an inch of their lives, and it's awesome, right? With that laughter that happens and just the joy on their faces when that is happening, I just keep coming back to that, moment over and over as to what Advent is about. The Father in the Advent moment catches us. He catches us, and the joy is so deep we can barely contain it. We can barely contain it. We've been studying through this Advent series as we talk about this idea of prepare the way, this, this statement that's borrowed from the prophet Isaiah, um, who, who has so many of the key prophecies about advent that we find in scripture and about the arrival of the Messiah and he says prepare the way in the in the wilderness in the desert prepare the way for the coming of the Lord and as we've talked about over and over about these different prophecies of Isaiah through this study together today we're going to look at chapter 35. Uh, and we're going to read the whole chapter. It's verses one through 10. Listen to what he says it will be like when the Messiah arrives. When the Messiah shows up, this is what it's going to be like. He says, the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. Now that is a flower that cannot live in the desert, but all of a sudden in this Messiah moment, in the Advent moment, life is showing up in places where, where it hasn't been before. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor will any ferocious beast get up on it. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there, and the ransom of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Father, thank you for the depth and the beauty of this promise. And thank you for the fact that it finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ, in your son. Thank you for the the miraculous idea of Advent that God, would come to us, that the word would become flesh and live among us. Thank you that as life draws near, everything is filled with life. Thank you for who you are. Direct us today. Help us to catch just the slightest glimpse of the beauty of what this season is about. And I pray that joy and gladness would overtake us today as we try to grab a hold of it. So in your name we pray, amen. So beautiful and so powerful, these words from Isaiah. So incredible. And they are looking ahead, describing in fullness the arrival of Jesus. It does give promise to the people of Israel that when they go into captivity, which is something that is coming for them, it gives promise that they will return and that they will come back to Zion with gladness and with singing, it says, and that God will come and he will make a way back. He will ransom, he will rescue, he will redeem his people. And so on the one hand, it has that kind of historical fulfillment to it of when Israel is brought back from its captivity, but it has a much deeper level to it as well. So often scripture is that it is a one thing that has a couple of things happening at at once, right? And as it gives that that moment in Israel's history and they think, oh, this is the fulfillment of it, yes, but there's something even so much deeper that you aren't even expecting yet where the Messiah comes and will free us in the deepest kind of way and in the truest kind of way, not just from captivity of, of, of an earthly enemy, but from captivity of sin and will break us free and will lead us back into the heart This is such a powerful, powerful passage. We're gonna break it down a little bit piece by piece here and look at several different sections and what it has to say to us. I wanna take these first two verses at first um, when it talks about this moment of the desert and the wilderness bursting into bloom, okay? The wasteland, the empty place, the dead place suddenly filled with life. Powerful, powerful image here. Um, In the Gospel of John, in John one, it it begins with this poetic prologue to the book, and and it's designed to reflect the Genesis story, the creation story of Genesis. It's perfectly designed to reflect that. And so, just like Genesis begins with those three words, "In the beginning," John one begins with those three words as well, and it tells us from from right from the start of the book, okay, this is a new creation story. When it talks about Jesus, this is what John is setting up for us. And John says this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then everything that has been created is created through him. And then he makes this incredible statement that the word became flesh and lived among us. Now, we've got to understand, once again, it's one word that has multiple meanings to it initially the first thing we see is is that meaning of of word and we see that reflected in the creation story that God speaks he says let there be light and there is light and God says let there be life and there is life and by speaking he brings creation into existence okay it's a powerful thing it's okay guys everybody's together okay it's a powerful thing powerful thing and Jesus is the same kind of, is telling us the same thing about Jesus, that Jesus is the word that brings creation into existence. Okay, Jesus is the word that brings creation into existence, and the world is created through Jesus Christ. Okay, so it's got that kind of connotation to it, this vehicle of communication when we think about word. But John is writing also in in Greek, okay, and when we look at what the Greek word is, it's this word logos, okay? And the Greek word logos isn't just the way we think about word, like a, a way of communicating. It's not just that. The Greek idea of logos, the, the philosophers had developed this idea around that, that the logos was the organizing principle of the entire universe, that there was this thing that holds everything And if we could just discover what that logos is, what that one word, that one thing that holds everything together, then we would get to the root of the meaning of existence for the entire world, a search that all of us have, right? What is the meaning of this? And the Greek philosopher said, if we can discover what that logos is, then that is the missing piece. That is the thing that will bring the whole puzzle together for us. And so John brilliantly and intentionally describes Jesus as, yes, the vehicle of communication, but even more than that, the logos, the organizing principle of the universe, the thing that gives meaning to everything, the one thing that holds together everything. He says this is who Jesus is. He is life. He is the one that gives life to life. And when the life draws near, dead things begin to burst in to blossom. That's what's happening here in Isaiah's prophecy. That as Jesus draws near, things that were once dead now pulse and throb with life. It's beautiful, beautiful. And the dry places suddenly become places of life. We've all been in dry places before. We've all had those moments where it seems like, like the situation that we are in just will not end, and it is choking the very life out of us. It is smothering all of the hope that we have, this thing that we are stuck in, and we can't set ourselves free. It is killing us. It is killing us. It is draining the very life out of us all been there before some of you might be there right now you might be in the thick of it right now right now advent promises us the hope that the dead places will become places of life that when jesus draws near even those things that are sucking the life out of us he can handle and he will restore us and we will become people who are fresh again and vibrant and fully alive through the life himself. This is the promise of Advent. If you find yourself right now stuck in one of those places, hold on and wait with hope and anticipate the moment when Jesus Christ breaks you free and when Jesus Christ breaks you free. Don't give up. Wait for it. Wait for it. It's coming. It's coming. It's powerful. Jesus takes... This image of the desert, which is so often associated with despair, and now all of a sudden it becomes a place that says it's bursting into blossom and is full of joy. Joy. When the life draws near, even the places that were once marked by despair become places that are marked by joy. This is the power of Advent. This is the promise of Christmas. Moving on into this next section, um, in verses three through six, we're continuing this theme of new life surging into dead places, but now it's gone from kind of a landscape image into our real lives, into what we see around us all of the time. And it says that suddenly when Jesus comes, when the Messiah comes, when the fulfillment of all of this happens, when the time is bright, that suddenly the blind will begin to see again, the deaf will begin to hear again again the lame will begin to walk again. And this beautiful promise of life continuing to surge into these places, these other kind of desert places that we see in our lives. And it's not talking about like a mirage that tricks us into drinking the sand. It's talking about real hope, not a false kind of hope, a real hope, a real hope that all things begin to turn Backwards, or begin to move in the way they're supposed to be. Suddenly the curse is being broken and suddenly we see the fall being reversed everywhere around us. And Jesus Christ brings healing into places that are broken is what it's telling us. There's a fantastic writer, a guy named Frederick B- Buechner. I think that's the correct pronunciation, Buechner. And um, he's a beautiful writer, beautiful writer. And he says that in Advent, we see the creator within creation and we see the invulnerable within the wound. The invulnerable within the wound. The one who cannot be broken stepping into our brokenness to heal us. Powerful idea reflects the very words of Isaiah himself who says that the punishment that brought us peace is upon him. And by his wounds, we will be healed. And Jesus Christ steps into our brokenness. And suddenly, when he arrives, we begin to see healing all around us. These are the signs of Advent, it says. And this section right here makes me think ahead into the New Testament and think about John the Baptist, okay? John the Baptist is kind of an unsung hero hero of advent but if we look at his life he really carries this theme throughout his entire life um this phrase that we're using prepare the way borrowed from the prophet isaiah uh the new testament says that's fulfilled in the life of john the baptist that he was this preacher out in the desert literally in the wilderness preparing the way a voice of one calling in the desert prepare the way he becomes that That's what he is. His ministry begins by being out in the desert, being this prophet who is speaking about the coming of the Messiah, and he's preaching, just passionately saying, uh, repent, turn from the life you've been living and begin to follow God. Repent and believe, for the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is at hand. And he talks about the arrival of the Messiah. He's called the trailblazer and the pioneer because he paves the way, prepares the way the arrival of jesus and the fulfillment of all of these advent promises and when jesus comes john points to him and says there he is that's the one i've been telling you about behold the lamb of god who will take away the sins of the world and in that moment we see the culmination of john's ministry it's a strange thing because at that moment he also turns all of his disciples to loose. And he says, quit following me. Now go and follow him. It's the high point of of John's ministry, that moment. It's a beautiful moment. He's also connected with Advent because when the angel comes and tells Mary that even though you are a virgin, you are going to give birth to a child, to this promised Messiah, to Jesus himself, who will save his people from their sins. The angel then says to Mary, now go to your cousin Elizabeth. Go and be with Elizabeth because Elizabeth is on the opposite end of the miracle spectrum when it comes to this miracle birth situation. It's a miracle for you because you're a virgin. It's a miracle for her because she's beyond the age of being able to have a child and she has not been able to have a child yet. But now, even though she's past that age, she is pregnant as well. You're on the opposite ends, but God is moving in both of you and making this happen in both of you. So she the angel says Mary go to Elizabeth and be with her. And as Mary goes and as she comes up and she greets her cousin Elizabeth, it says that this baby John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb womb when she when he hears the voice of Mary, this baby leaps with joy within Elizabeth. Powerful Powerful, the Holy Spirit fills him and he leaps with joy when he hears the voice of the mother of Jesus. So powerful, so powerful. He's the first witness to the reality of who Jesus is. First witness to the reality of who Jesus is. That's the train of his life. That's what he does the rest of his life. He is the witness of who Jesus is. He continually points to Jesus. But then we have this moment late in John's life, actually at the very end of John's life. John is in prison, and he's gone from this high point, culminating moment of his ministry of saying, this is what I've been doing my entire life. This is It's been building up to this. There he is. Go and follow him. In that moment, his disciples leave him, John's ministry fades into the background and this person who had become somewhat of a religious celebrity now becomes obscure and almost irrelevant at this point. He's done what he came to do and now it's over and the power has shifted from him and now everyone's following Jesus and obsessed with what Jesus is doing. And John's ministry comes into the background. Not only does he lose his ministry, but he loses his freedom at the same time. He's thrown into prison by the authorities because he's been preaching out against what the authorities are doing and the wickedness of it. So he's thrown into prison. Within a very short time from this, he's going to be beheaded because of just the ruthlessness of the king and of this this heartless act that's driven by lust and all kinds of twisted things. John is in a low, low point. He's sitting in prison. And in that moment, he begins to work through his mind and think back through everything that's happened. And we're told that John begins to wonder if Jesus really is the one. John, this trailblazer, this one who pioneered the way, now says, is he the one? The first witness is beginning to waver. And it says that John sends some of his friends to Jesus and they go with this question. Jesus, John, is asking, are you the one that we have indeed been waiting for, or should we wait for another? Jesus answers back, go and tell John what you see. Tell John that the blind receive their sight, that the deaf start to hear Again, that the lame are walking and that the dead are being raised to life. Powerful draws on this promise, this Advent promise from Isaiah and says, go and tell John what you're seeing. The signs of life are everywhere. And it's all pointing back to the truth. I am the one you have been waiting for. The wait is over. The wait is over so powerful so powerful and it's all wrapped up right here in this passage from isaiah so we continue on here and we're wrapping up with this last piece these last verses six through ten when it looks at this promise of the way that is being made the way that has been promised prepare the way as john did trailblaze it right Just pave the highway for the coming of the Lord, and he will bring his people back home again. And in this powerful moment here, the fulfillment of this is in Jesus. And we see Jesus declaring himself. He says, I am the way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. What a bold, bold claim. I am the door to the Father. I am the way to the Father. And no one comes to the Father except through me. We believe that. We firmly stand on that, that Jesus is absolutely the way, that Jesus is undoubtedly the way. But I want to challenge you in the way that you think about this. When we talk about that oftentimes we imagine Jesus as kind of this static kind of gate who is standing right there on the border of the kingdom of the father and if you can find the gate and you can kind of find your way to him okay then you get to come through and you get to come into the kingdom of the father. He's holding firm that border and he's standing guard by the gate, right? Nobody gets to the father except through me, okay? And we think of it in that kind of terms. And it's like, oh, good. I'm so glad you found me. What's the secret password? Good. Okay, good. I'm glad you got it. Come on in, all right? Welcome in, okay? It's not like that. It is not like that. This is not a static gate who stands guard at the border of the kingdom of God. This is a way that is on the move. This is a road that winds its way to the very ends of the earth. This is the way that works itself into the furthest and forgotten corners of the kingdom. This is the road that goes through the worst neighborhoods that everyone else wants to avoid. This is the road that bends the borders and breaks through the barriers this is the road that comes to us you do not find the way the way finds you and the way has come to you and the advent moment tells us just how far the father is willing to go to rescue us he is willing to come all the way to us to blaze the trail to prepare the way, to open up a highway where there's been nothing before, to come into the desert and to find us at our most dead places and to lead us back home, the return to the Father's heart. Jesus is the way, and no one comes into the Father except through him. But the Father proves in Advent just how far he is willing to go and he sends Jesus to rescue us, and he paves the way, and he marks out the road, this road that reaches to the very ends of the earth and finds the most surprising people. Look at the life of Jesus. All the way through the Gospels, you see this. He is not living according to the lines, right? He's not obeying the lines that have been drawn. He's not hanging out in the temple only, with the religious elite, the people who are supposed to know him best. Often he finds himself on the other line, on the other side of the line from the ones who are the scholars of the scriptures, right? And they they don't recognize him for who he is because they're surprised in the way that he came. And we find him going into the darkest places and into the corners where no one else is willing to go and to search. But that's what he does. That's what he does. This is a way that winds itself to the farthest and forgotten corners of the kingdom to bring the father's children home. Jesus pursues you. And Jesus is pursuing this entire world. Jesus is pursuing this entire world. And when he catches us, it tells us that the joy will overtake us. The joy and the gladness will overtake us. Let's be the kind of people who prepare the way, who pave the road into places where it's never been before, who open up paths for people who thought they were completely cut off from it. Let's be people like John the Baptist. Let's live this prophecy of Isaiah and prepare the way of the Messiah who has come who is so driven by love that he is willing to do things that we just don't think are right sometimes, right? That he is willing to reach out to the people that we think are way too far away, but he goes to them. Let's be the people who pave that path and prepare the way for him. The father is out to capture this world. He is chasing us and Advent is the proof of it. And when he catches us, joy will overtake us. It's like when I grab those boys. No matter where they're trying to run, I'm getting them. I'm winning this game. I catch them and I pick them up and I tickle them and I just revel in their laughter. And I can't get enough of it as the joy and gladness overtakes them and catches them. That's what Advent is. That's what Advent is. In Advent, the Father catches us, and the joy cannot be contained. In Advent, our, heart, our hearts leap inside of us at the sound of this story. It leaps inside of us, filled with the Spirit. At Advent, our dry deserts burst with life as the life draws near. In Advent, we don't discover the way. The way finds us and leads us back home. God, thank you for the power of this season. You are such an incredible God, and the story that you have written blows our minds. We would have never thought of this. We would have never thought of this. Thank you so much that you're such a creative author at writing this story. And we take heart and we have hope in the story that you continue to write. And God, I pray that this season we would be caught up again, that you would catch us again, and that the joy and the gladness of this reality of Advent, of the Jesus who arrives, who comes to us, God with us, that we would not be able to contain the joy, that it would overtake us. Find us in our deserts. Find us in our brokenness. Be our healing. Be the one who is invulnerable even within this wound that is this earth. We love you. We love you. In your name we pray, amen.